0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Turn with me to a very familiar passage, very familiar passage, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's no coincidence that God has us stuck on this particular word this morning that we're going to be looking at. So once you found Ephesians chapter 4, if you would be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. And let's read that word together, if you would be so kind as to stand with me. Starting Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 1, it reads like this. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Father, this morning we have celebrated our mothers together. We have Given them gifts we have read scripture about them we have sung songs to you this morning father we have heard a beautiful song sung by Kay about the loveliness of our mothers and their thankfulness for the smallest of tokens and now father as we open your word and proclaim it let our hearts and minds focus solely upon you for without you there would be no love so this morning you concentrate our hearts on your every word Make very little of me, have me behind the cross, make very much of yourself, that today we may see you in all of your glory. This we pray in the name of the one who died upon a cross for our sins, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. If you happen to be visiting with us this morning and I'll catch you up very quickly as to where we are we've been in the book of Ephesians now for some 15 months or so I guess it is now 16 months I don't know how long we've been there since I started January over a year ago I've been looking at the book of Ephesians with one sole purpose it's understanding God's purpose for the church we have driven through the first three uh, chapters which give us all the theology about the church all the theology of how we were saved all of what God had done for us and through his son Jesus Christ and we learned that our salvation is all about him and nothing about us it's all about what he chose to do for us and to place his son upon a cross to pay a debt that we could not pay for ourselves. he lovingly sent his only begotten son from a place called heaven down to this earth to die for a sinner such as me And we learned all that in the first three chapters. We move into chapter four. Chapter four starts the application of that theology in our everyday life. And so far in chapter four, we've worked our way all the way down at a very rapid pace to the end of the second verse since January of this year. I was telling somebody earlier, I really get down on myself about why we don't move quicker, but God's made himself very evident in the things that we've been studying and what's been going on in our church. And I think it's no... uh, No coincidence that this morning he has us looking at the end of the second verse where it says that we are to bear with one another in love, to be forbearing in our love. Because if there is something I can say about my mother, and I'm sure you can say about your mother, is that on this Mother's Day, if there's one thing I remember the most about my mom, it's her forbearing love. That love that sustained me through the hardest days of my life that love that rejoices with me when things are good. That love that will reach out occasionally, even at this age, and say, Son, we need to have a talk. That love. And Paul here, as he writes this, he tells us there in the very first verse of this chapter, the word walk this worthy walk. And, and we've looked at those first three words, that, that first one there, that lowliness being a humbleness. And if you remember, we said humbleness was thinking less about yourself and thinking more about others. We move from that that word lowliness to the word gentleness, which actually we would define as meekness. And that meekness, we came to understand, was this power under control. It was like this lion that was controlled by the lion tamer. And any time the power within the lion could be unleashed, but it was only at the beckoning of that lion tamer that that would happen. And it's that power that's within us is the power that is mentioned in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. That same power... That raised Jesus from the dead is that power that indwells you as a believer. And that power is to be under the control of one master. And that master is our Father, God, the I Am. And so that's meekness. We move from meekness to last week we talked about this (coughs) long-suffering. This long-suffering is one of those things that we all have a little difficulty with. We best translate that word into our everyday language as patience. It's that prayer that we say on our knees, whenever there's a situation in our life, we say, "God, give me patience and make it quick," in that the way we do it quite occasionally. This patience, this, this patience I like to think of as offering grace because I've been graced. Having grace with the situation with a person in a situation because God has graced me. So we see that humbleness, we see that meekness, we see that patience. Do you notice how those build on each other? You must first be humble. Matter of fact, the word tells us you must be humble to be saved. You must come realizing there's not a thing you bring to the party. There's not a thing about you that would make God want to save you. There's not a thing that you have done that would make a holy God say, I want him because he's so special. No, it's just the opposite. God looks down and he sees you for who you are. You can put on all the vinyl, you can put on all the the outer coverings, you can put on all the perfume and makeup you want, God sees right through it. And he knows before, you know his son Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're headed to a place called hell and you're headed there deservingly. I'm tired of people saying, I can't believe there's a God that would send you to hell. Let me get this point across, God doesn't send you anywhere. If you decide that you want to wind up in hell, God's going to let you go. He's given you an alternative, and that alternative is the Son, Jesus Christ. And you must approach that throne of grace and humbleness, realizing I do not deserve what God is going to give me. I do not deserve Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But thank you, God doesn't give me what I deserve. Because I deserve a place called hell. He chose to take me out of that and place me in righteousness and right standing with Him because of what His Son, Jesus Christ, did on a cross. Humbleness is coming in that attitude that you do not deserve What you're about to get. That attitude should carry over into your Christian walk. Every breath you take, every item that you've got, every family member that you get to spend time with, every moment that you have on this earth is a gift from God. You don't deserve a single one of them. God gives them to you because He loves you. Humbly, then you look at others in a different light when you realize who you are with God. So you come from humbleness, and that humbleness gives you the meekness, the meekness to not lash out at those that lash out at you, to only stand up boldly when someone lashes out at your God. They can say all they want to say about me. You can get in the corner and talk about me all you want. I'm fair game, and that's fine with me, because as long as you're talking about me, you're leaving Vernon alone, who really deserves it. Just kidding, Vernon, just kidding. It doesn't matter what you say about me, but the minute that you want to down my God, back up and punt, because here I come. That's meekness. Meekness is saying, you can come at me all you want, but don't you say anything about my God. Because I know what my God did for me. I know what my God did for you. Out of that comes that patience in to be able to look at someone that maybe I'm having difficulty with or a situation that I don't quite understand and just patiently wait upon God. When's the last time you sat down when there was a difficulty in your life and just quietly waited on God? You know, if you're humble and you're meek, out of that comes that patience to do that. Out of patience comes this word love. In most of the translations, King James' translation especially, it calls it forbearing love, forbearing love. In my translation of New King James, it said, bearing with one another in love. You know, it would be a whole lot easier to forbear with someone in love if we really knew what love was. If we really knew exactly what was meant by love. Flip with me over to First Corinthians. It's uh, probably the most famous passage on love in the Bible. You probably already know what it is. You probably can repeat it by heart, especially if you've ever been to a wedding. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, it reads like this. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Do you see this picture he's painting? He's saying, I can get up and preach the word with the best of them. I can say, mountain, get out of the way, and it move. I can have all the knowledge, all the understanding in the world, but if I can't apply that in love, what does it say? It says, I am nothing. He goes on to verse 3 to say, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. He said, I can walk all the little old ladies across the street. I won't. I can send all the money to all the starving people. I can stand out on the corner and make soup and feed all the folks. I can do all these things. Matter of fact, I can go to the point of saying, No, don't kill them. Kill me. They don't deserve it. And it profits you nothing if you don't do it with love. It goes on to verse 4 to say, this picture of love is love suffers long and it's kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He takes a breath and in verse eight, he says, love never fails But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Notice the picture that he's painting. When I was a child, when I didn't care about anything, when I was just doing my own thing, I would live that way and was expected to live that way. But once now that I've seen the truth, now that I've grown up in the truth, now that I've become a man, I should put away those childish things. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. He goes on to say, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. To me, that's a scary thing. One day you're going to know just like Jesus knows you. How does Jesus know you? We'll move on because that's a rabbit trail. Verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three things. Out of those three things, the greatest of these is love. He has told us what love is there. Paul tells us what love is and is not through verses 4 through 8. He gives you this picture of love. In verse 13, he tells you that the greatest of all the things that will remain is love. But what is love to us? I thought about it as I was studying for this. a country song by Johnny Lee from the movie Urban Cowboy. Do you remember the movie Urban Cowboy? Anybody? Urban Cowboy. Do you remember a song that says that everyone is looking for love? It's just in the wrong places. Do you remember the song? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Does that speak to our world today? Does that not hit the nail on the head? He wasn't really being prophetic, but I think in a way he was prophetic with that. One of the greatest tragedies in our society today, we live in a world that lacks true love. You see, we've got kids that are growing up in single-parent homes. We've got wives that have husbands walk out on them because they want a new model. We've got women using their bodies to make money. We've got kids that are swept up in the sex trafficking. And if you think it's not happening in your back door, you are wrong. The other night, I happened to be up at 11 o'clock, and we had the TV on to the local channel in Wilmington. I think it was WECT, maybe. They did a one-hour special on prostitution. Did anybody see that? I sat in front of the TV with Wendy and said, where have I been? Has my head been stuck in the sand? It was the most remarkable thing to think that Wilmington, they had an hour to cover sex trafficking and how they were busting into hotels and arresting these folks and the, the rampant use of heroin throughout this group, how this whole group of society was falling apart before my very eyes, and I didn't care. Why? I had never even noticed what a just it was horrible there was just this complete disregard for others in our society the only focus we seem to have as a society is what's in it for me we see it day in and day out and the laws that are trying to be passed and the people standing up saying I have rights and I deserve to have these things and even though I'm trampling your rights to get them it doesn't matter my rights trump your rights What a crazy world we live in. What a crazy world. And and what goes along with those thoughts, those things, what goes along with it? Where's love trying to be found in our world today? I made a couple of notes. One of the greatest places love is being found right now is in the bottom of a bottle of liquor. There are more people that are chasing away the pains of their life with alcohol than you can shake a stick at. You know what I realize? Some of those folks are sitting in this room. It's rampant in our churches. It's no longer something that's kept outside the doors and done in secret. It's now something that walks in the door every Sunday morning. Not only are they washing it away with a bottle, they're escaping in, in these things called drugs. Sometimes it's the drugs that's given to you by a doctor legally. I think we could have someone get up, several folks get up today and profess how those legal prescriptions in your life has ruined your life. Because the doctor gives it to you doesn't make it right. We're washing away our pains with alcohol. We're taking pills, trying to get rid of those pains in our life, just trying to find peace and love. What does that lead to a lot of times? It leads to you searching for love in the arms of a stranger. It looks for you seeking for love from anywhere you can get it. Ultimately, it leads some to find that love in a community of a cult. If you think that's not happening in your neighborhood, you're also wrong. There are those that are following things that they paint pretty pictures with the Bible or with particular prophecies and say, this is what this is, and we're really following God. We're just like you. No. If they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, they do not believe that God sent him to this earth to die for their sins, and there's only one way to heaven, and it's through his death, burial, and resurrection. If they do not believe that, they are not like you. If they teach anything else that takes them away from that picture, there is no way you can label that Christianity. You can only label it a cult. There are worlds and worlds of people following a way that they think is going to get them to the destiny they want, and they're going to find out one day when they stand before Jesus that he's going to say, go away, I never knew you. Not only is there... This cold atmosphere, but even amongst our young people right now, one of the greatest things that are attacking our young people are gangs. There are kids that are coming out of our homes and they're joining gangs because they can't find love in our homes and they see this group of people that pretend to care about them and all they want to know is that somebody loves them. And if it takes doing the stupid things that they do to be a part of that, they're willing to do it to feel the love of a gang. All over our nation right there, there are young men and women being killed day in and day out because they're chasing that love through a gang. There are drive-by shootings almost daily in Wilmington at this moment. There are kids being shot dead on the corner because they're in the wrong gang. There are kids right now that are going to grow up with absolutely no future in their life because of the choices they're making right now because they're falling short at home getting the love that they so desire. See, Paul is telling us here to walk worthy, to be worthy of Christ in your life. You've got to make a difference in those situations. There's got to be a difference in the world around you because of your walk. Paul knows that to do that, as he tells us in verse 6 here, that in verse 6 of Ephesians 4, he says that we must have this unity, this unity that comes through The one who is all and above all this unity is what draws the people that are looking for love to us we don't need to have factions within the church we don't need to have cliques we need to have this unified body of love so that when those young men and women that are living in homes so unloved look for love they don't find it in a gang they find it in you in the church They find it in the place that only knows what love is because they know the Father, the God of love. See, it's important for us to understand what Paul was saying here when he says that you should be forbearing in love. Forbearing in love. There's actually several types of love that are mentioned in the Bible. The poor thing about our English... And you hear me say this a lot. My wife gets on me and says, well, you shouldn't use so many Greek words. And you shouldn't use this and that in teaching. But you've got to understand the English language really stinks. The English language stinks in transferring a message. The English language is difficult sometimes to understand because you will see in the Bible some uh, various six or eight different, maybe even more words in the Bible translated to one English word of love. One English word of love. You have to understand what Paul was saying and what love it is to understand how to go out and apply it. So we're going to take a little bit of time and look at the couple of the different types of love. We'll only get to the part of one this morning, but we'll get as far as we can. Paul tells us we're the bear together in love. And it's important to understand what type of love. And like I said, there are several different types. And the first type of love that's really seen in the Bible, and it's love most active in our world today in the way that most of our young people and even us as adults perceive love is this greek word that's called eros this greek word of eros eros is a greek word for love that actually comes from the name of one of their gods one of their gods and that god was the god of love or physical intimacy would be a better way of putting it. physical in- intimacy the webster dictionary in fact defines love this way this eros love The sum of life-preserving instincts that are manifested as impulses to gratify basic needs. (laughs) Boy, that's a lot of words to say Eros love is in it for himself and himself only. See, I find it kind of interesting that out of that word Eros, we actually use that word in some of our English words. And one of the most prominent words that we use Eros in is the word erotic or erotica. Does that give you a picture of this eros love, this eros type of love? Matter of fact, flip with me back to Exodus. Let's look at something real fast. If you happen to be visiting with us, you'll get an exercise in your Bible. I hope this morning. You won't hear many stories about me. I was going to use one story. My wife forbid me yesterday because it was about her, and she said I couldn't do it. So I'm going to skip it and not use it this morning. And I, I figured since I was talking about eros love, I might not better just bring her up and make her think that's the only reason I like her and all that good stuff. So probably be a long day at the house. But uh, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, if you know your Bible, you know, gives us a list of the laws that God has placed out there for us. These laws that were in the Old Testament that the law was never put there, by the way, so that you could keep them and look at God and say, hey, God, I kept all 10. So now what? Understand the law was never put in place for that purpose. The law was put in place that when you tried to keep the Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws, you would fall short and you would go, hold on, if this is the way it takes for me to be in right standing with God and I fell short, God, help. You were to look at the Ten Commandments and try your best. You were to say, I think I could do this, I failed in this. And once you failed in one you failed in all, the word tells us. The Ten Commandments were set in place not as a way for you to say, I got that one checked off, I'm good, I've got that one checked off. It was for you to really look at it and go, my life doesn't line up with that. God, I need you. So, let's look at those Ten Commandments really fast. It says this in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of this land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. We know that one. It comes up to the second one here and says, You shall not make for yourselves graved images of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the Children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments See, he's starting to paint his picture of love and here he moves on to verse 7 he says you shall not make or take the name of the lord your god in vain for the lord will not hold him guiltless who has taken his name in vain then he moves to the eighth verse here and says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in that you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant, your female servant, your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in the sixth day the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So we've run through a few of the commandments there, and you notice they all point to God. Then he changes gears. He changes from this vertical to this horizontal. He says in number twelve, uh, verse number 12, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. By the way, this is the first commandment that comes with a promise. On this Mother's Day, remember, if you honor your father and your mother, it's been promised to you that your days will be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. He moves on in 13, and he gives us the Shall not, he says, you shall not murder. Fourteen, you shall not commit adultery. Fifteen, you shall not steal. Sixteen, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And seventeen, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And you say, hey, Roger, I understand the Ten Commandments, but what's that got to do with love? Love. All of the Ten Commandments have to do with love, but I want you specifically to look at that verse 17 with me. Verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife, male servant, female servant. You know what the Hebrew word translated covet in our Bible is? It's to love or to lust. It's to eros in Greek. That word there, if it was written in Greek, it could say, you shall not eros your neighbor's house or wife. See, this idea of misplaced love goes all the way back to the start. Isn't that the reason there was this fall in the first place? Isn't that the reason we wound up where we are? Because it wasn't good enough to have 99.9% of the garden. It was that extra tree that I just would love to be just like God. and just eat of that one tree. It was that, what's in it for me? It's just an apple. And boy, wouldn't that apple be nice? It was that Eros, that all in for yourself, that got us in the place that we are. See, covenant is the... Hebrew word that is close most closely translated by us to this word of lust which that is what eros is in all honesty see God has commanded us not to desire or not to lust or not to eros our neighbor's stuff fast forward over to the New Testament to Romans 7 somebody slips up here and speeds up my clock every week I'm almost certain of it Romans 7, verse 7. I'm going to start without you catch up. It says, what shall we say then? Romans 7, verse 7. Is the law sin? Now, this is the same law we were just reading. It says, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. Remember what I told you the law's purpose was? So that you would understand what sin was. He goes on to say, for I would not have known covetousness. There's that word, eros. Epithumia is the actual word that's used there in Greek. I would not have known epithumia, which is a close tie to that love called eros, unless the law had said, "You shall not covet." But sin take opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, when I saw that law, I realized the sin in my life and I was dead. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Why? Because I could not reach that commandment. In verse 11, for sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. In other words, that law, if I had a tried to abide in the law, if I had a tried to do the things of the law, if I had a tried to make my way to God through the law, I would have wound up nothing but dead and in bondage. He goes on to say, therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. See Romans there in verse 7, it said, would not have known that epithemia, that lust, except for the loss, Paul said he would not have known what it meant to lust in his heart except for that law. The Greek word for lust there is that, that notion of longing or desiring for something. That covetousness, that epithemia is this desiring for something for your, yourself. See, Eros is, is a sister, it's a twin of that epithemia. It's this lusting, this lusting after this what can I get? what's in it for me see it is the love that wants to fulfill all of my desires that eros is the love that wants to know what have you got for me it's another beautiful place that is mentioned in scripture and that's Galatians chapter 5 and I'll try and get wrapped up here shortly with this Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 reads like this. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here he is bringing up that lust again. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So he's painting this picture of war. This picture of because of this eros love in your heart, this lust within your heart, you're at odds with the spirit. And he says, and these are Contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, contentiousness, jealousness, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I also told you in the time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see the picture of the paints of arrows here for you this lust? It's an awful picture. See, Paul tells us not to live for the lust of the flesh because the lust of the flesh puts enmity with us and God. In that 19 through 21, he gives us the list. That list says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and so on. All these are to fulfill one thing. All those things are to fulfill one thing. That's your desires. Do you see how Eris points at what you want? Not what anybody else wants. And he's saying here that if you follow those lusts, if you have this heiress lust, this heiress love in your heart, then it's all about you. See, eros can best be understood as a love that takes. A love that takes. The New Testament is full, it's absolutely full of pictures of this love. Absolutely full of pictures of this love. And next week, if you come back, you'll get the opportunity to hear those. This morning, I ask you this. Do you have love in your heart? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.